Well, thanks, band. I'd invite you to grab a seat. I want to ask you a, a question as we, as we kick off tonight, and the question uh, will come up on the screen. It's this. It's, uh, what blanks do you insert into your life? Because we're launching this brand new series, Eat, Sleep, Blank, Repeat. Just think over the last 12 hours or maybe 24 hours of your life, what have you inserted into that blank? Was it eat, sleep, sleep some more, repeat? Eat, sleep, binge watch, Stranger Things on Netflix, repeat? Eat, uh, eat, sleep, drink coffee, repeat? Maybe some of you it was like gym, eat, sleep, gym, repeat, eat, sleep, bulk, repeat, shred? I don't know what season we're in. I think we're coming into bulking season, winter. Eat, sleep, bulk, repeat? Maybe some of you uh, throughout the week, it's like eat, sleep, uni, repeat, eat, sleep, like work, repeat. For those of you who are parents, it's like eat, sleep, take care of the kids, try and like uh, get my hair done nice just so I can go out and have a cup of coffee, then repeat. Maybe for some of you, you're just trying to get through the week. It's like eat, sleep, hold it together, repeat. And uh, if you don't know me, my name uh, is Chris and I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And tonight we're launching a brand new series called Eat, Sleep, Blank, Repeat. And the way we do things here at Beyond is we like to launch these series and we camp out on a big idea for a number of weeks and we'll dive at it from a whole heap of different angles. And tonight, uh, tonight we're going to look, sorry, this series we're going to look at over the course of three weeks. We're going to come at this whole idea over three weeks and really the question that we're going to wrestle to the ground over three weeks is, is simply this, simply this, yeah, what do you put in the blank when it comes to following Jesus? What do you put in the gaps when it comes to following Jesus? Because naturally, whether you're a Christian or or whether you're uh, just a regular person, or regular person, whether you're a Christian or you're you're not, that's better. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, uh, this applies to all of us because all of us have this need and this desire to naturally fill in the blanks. Just, and if you, if you push back against this, I get it, but just think of the last time someone was late to meet you for coffee. And all of a sudden you start kind of rationalizing and putting in the blanks why they're late. Oh, they must have slept in because they always sleep in. I guarantee they're stuck in traffic. I told them it was Mango Hill, not North Lakes. I guarantee they're at North Lakes and I'm waiting for them at Mango Hill. I told them that all the time. We, we insert naturally, we put things in the blanks in our lives. Some of you, uh, when you got ghosted on Tinder during the week, you inserted like a blank as to why that person ghosted you. When your boss is grumpy at work, you, you insert reasons as to why they're acting that way, why they're being that way with you. For those of you who are at school or at uni still, uh, and you get, you'll get, get an assignment back, and it's not the grade that you were hoping for, you insert a reason into the spaces as to why you got that result. Obviously, you didn't study super hard. Obviously, the teacher has it out for you. You could have got a better grade if you'd have wanted to, but let's be honest, you had things to do on Sunday night. We have this natural tendency as human beings to simply fill in the blanks. This is, this is just a human thing. We want to fill in the blanks. And so I want to put it back to you, this, this question that we're going to camp out on this series is, what do you, what do you put in the blanks when it comes to following Jesus? Because chances are, as many people as there are in this room, there's probably as many different answers for what you put in the blank when it comes to following Jesus. 
Because chances are some of you are here tonight and you're only here because of, uh, because of the Tokyo, like chicken wings and the hot dogs. Some of you are only here because you heard they had tiramisu at the Italian place. Some of you are only here because, for the donuts. Some of you are here just because some hot guy or some hot girl invited you along and you rocked up and you're like, it's this church? What? Like they kind of bait and switched you, like I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but some of us, we have this, like we all had this need to fill, fill in the blanks, but what do you put in the gaps of following Jesus? For some of you, you maybe had a terrible church experience, and so what you put in the, in the blanks is different to what I would put in the blanks. Some of you might insert boring, irrelevant, outdated, homophobic, bigoted. You know, you have all these words that you insert in the blanks, and they're not good words. And so you associate Jesus and you associate church with these negative words. Then maybe for some of you, you know, you've grown up in church or maybe you've come back to church after a long time away and, and the whole church thing, you're kind of like, yeah, I like this thing. And so you insert a whole heap of different words. You insert like prayer, reading your Bible, uh, going to church. You start using words that people have no idea what you're talking about, tithing. Like, and then you talk about like connect groups and people are like, what? Connect groups? Like, what is that? It's like where we get together and hang out. Oh, you mean like friends? Like in a circle where you invite each other over? Like what? We have this weird language and so you insert this weird language into the spaces. And, and some of those are good and some of those are positive. But, and I know for a fact that like God is disappearing from our culture, right? The things that people have been inserting into the spaces primarily have not been good things. Because church attendance is shrinking. If you look at all the data, God is beginning to disappear from within culture. But there's this really, really interesting thing that when you sit back and you look at Australia as a whole and you observe it, as God disappears from our culture, spirituality begins to reappear. It's really, really odd because you can talk to people and they might say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not a church person, I'm not, I'm not religious, but I believe in spirituality. I believe that this life isn't all that there is, that there's more beyond this world and I can't explain it and I can't put my finger on it. I don't want to really put my finger on what those church people have because I don't really want to subscribe to what they have, but, but there's something within me that says there's more to this life than just this life. And so as church attendance decreases, this whole idea of spirituality actually begins to increase throughout our culture. In fact, maybe you've even found yourself engaging in, in some spiritual practices. Because you don't have to be a religious person to engage in spiritual practices. There's a whole heap of spiritual practices that we see beginning to emerge within our culture. Um, things like meditation, things like deep breathing, are beginning to re-emerge. They're becoming really, really popular. Meditation and deep breathing, these practices where we slow down our minds, where we become aware of the thoughts that we're thinking, where we begin to realize which thoughts we engage with and which thoughts we just need to let pass by. Deep breathing where we begin to, to acknowledge and understand and pay attention to the rhythms of our breath in an attempt to maybe get ourselves out of the frenzied state that we've worked ourselves into and just simply be present. Maybe for some of you, you've engaged in some of the spiritual practices like yoga. Or maybe for you, you've, you've got into visualization where at the start of every day or at the start of every year, you begin to picture in your mind what the day or what the week or what the month will begin to look like. And you visualize achieving your goals and you visualize the steps that you'll need to take to get there. Maybe for some of you, you've had the spiritual practice of journaling. You never know why you journal or who you journal to, but you just write Dear Diary. And you're, some of you don't even write Dear Diary. You just write your thoughts out and it just explodes out on the paper. But it's kind of spiritual when you do that. And for some of you, 
you, uh, maybe you participate in the spiritual practice of prayer. You don't really pray to God necessarily, but you just believe that there's, there's something beyond this world and you can't put your finger on it, but, but you're just going to talk and you're going to pray and you're going to hope that maybe something moves you or something changes within inside of you. And, and I want you to know that I'm not against any of these spiritual practices. And think, in fact, I think some of these are incredibly, incredibly beneficial. I incorporate some of these into my own uh, faith journey and into my own uh, spiritual uh, practices. But as we think about this whole idea of spirituality, as we look at this idea that as God disappears from society, spirituality reappears, I want to ask you a question. What's the goal of your spirituality? When it comes to your spiritual journey, regardless of whether you consider yourself a religious person or not, what is the goal of spirituality for you? Because in order to know why you do the practices that you do or why, why you think there's more to this life than just this life, you actually have to know what the goal is. Because otherwise, if you don't know what the goal is, you don't know where you're heading. You don't know where you're moving. You don't know where all these practices are going to begin to lead you. And this is where I'm going to say something that may offend you slightly, and I just want to let you know that I may offend you slightly up front so that when I say it, you're not as offended when I say it. But I really think if we look at spirituality as a whole across our culture, the goal is spirituality is simply more me. The goal of spirituality on a popular level is simply to just get more of me. And your goal of spirituality is simply just to get more of you. Because we, as we look across this whole idea of spirituality, what we discover is that a lot of current spirituality is self-generated, self-focused, and self-directed. Well, if I can just think about a better version of me, it will happen. It's self-focused because it doesn't really focus on the world out there. It focuses on what's going on inside of me and how I can get my mind and how I can get my breathing and how I can focus myself to be the best version of me. And it's self-directed because usually the aim of spirituality is all centered around me. How can I make my life better? How can I become the best version of myself? And the problem of this whole idea of self-discovery, the problem of self-discovery is that all you discover is you. The problem of self-discovery is that all you discover is more you. And, and I say that not because I know you, because I don't. I say that because I know me. And the reason that, that, that there's a problem for me is because when I go into myself to try and find more me, to try and generate this whole spiritual journey, it comes to a point where very, very quickly I realize that there's something missing. And the thing that's missing is I'm trying to look for purpose in this life and this generation and I'm directing all this spirituality, but the problem is I didn't create me. In fact, I had actually very little say as to when I stepped into history. I had very little say over what point in time it was, bang, I'm here. I had no control over that. And yet, that's what I see the problem of this more me spirituality focus is, because we look to ourselves. And for me, if I look to myself, I couldn't control one of the most basic things, which is deciding when I was going to exist. And if I can't decide when I was going to exist, why would I turn to me for all the answers? But then it gets worse the more I think about it, because I like, 
this is the random stuff I think about during the week as I'm drinking coffee. I, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what, there's a bigger problem. Because as I look at my life, I realize that I am the common denominator in 100% of my problems. Every problem that I have in my life involves me in some way, shape or form. So if, I, if it is up to me to somehow go inside myself more, to find a solution to all of my problems, I am in big trouble because I caused all my problems to begin with. And if I knew how to not cause them, surely I would have just stopped before I caused any of my problems. Surely I would have stopped before I made any bad decisions. If I had all the answers within me, surely I would have been smart enough to figure that out at the start. And that's the problem with this kind of me-centered spirituality. In fact, one of the biggest spiritual thinkers of the last 50 years, he happens to be a Christian, but don't hold that against him. His name's Dallas Willard. And he says this, he says, spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery. And chances are, maybe you've experienced that in your life. Because you started out meditating, or you started out journaling, or you started out praying, or you started out deep breathing, and it worked. For the first couple of weeks, you felt fantastic, and it was amazing, and you were ready to conquer the world. But then after a month, or after two months, or after three months, it started to get more difficult to fit into your life, and, and, and the day started to kind of extrapolate out, and there was so much going on, and you just didn't know where to place this spiritual practice. And then all of a sudden, you started to feel guilty that you weren't doing this spiritual practice that was supposed to help you. And then you started to feel guilty that you weren't doing it. And so then you kind of pretended to just ignore it, that it wasn't there. And maybe you haven't done that spiritual practice for months, but you still feel guilty that you're not doing it. And part of you is like, yeah, I really should pick that up. And that's what Dallas Willard was saying. This whole idea of spirituality, when, when it's focused on us, becomes a source of misery. Because we feel guilty and we feel upset and then we don't know where to turn for the answers and so we just go, well, I guess, I guess this is it, right? Like, I don't know what to do. And tonight, I want to let you know, it is not my intent, it is not my plan to convince you to follow Jesus. All I want to do is bring you in on a conversation that Jesus had with a group of people who claimed to be spiritual leaders. In fact, they were spiritual leaders of their day. Because what Jesus would do during his time on earth, he was really, really famous for it, is he would walk into to churches and he would walk into temples and he would walk up to religious people and he would say, hey, you filled in the blank the wrong way and it's messing up your relationships. It's messing up the way you treat God, it's messing up the way you treat other people and you need to rethink the way that you're approaching this whole idea of spirituality. And tonight, I want to pick up on a conversation where Jesus walked into a temple, and it was kind of like, it's kind of like our modern-day church, but think like expansive property with different buildings and stuff, and Jesus was making his way around the property, around the grounds throughout the day. And before we get to the conversation that Jesus had with this one group of religious and spiritual leaders, you need to know that he had a conversation with another group, of religious leaders. And these guys, were, these guys were called the Sadducees. And Jesus had this conversation with this group of Sadducees earlier in the day, and he asked them a question that they couldn't answer, and they didn't know how to answer. And so they left. And word began to spread, because it was small and it was a temple, and word began to spread. And the Sadducees had a group 
of rival spiritual leaders. You could only make this story up if it was you're in church world. They were Jewish, they were both Jewish, and one group of Jewish people had a vendetta and were rivals with another group of Jewish people. And so Jesus kind of debunked the Sadducees and word got around to the Pharisees. And we're going to pick up this, the conversation tonight where Jesus encounters a whole group of Pharisees say, hey Jesus, we need to talk to you. And the conversation begins in Matthew chapter 22 and it starts out this way. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. They, word had spread and they got around and there was like a little carrier messenger and they all, all the Pharisees got together and said, hey Jesus, come here. We need to have a conversation. And so they pulled him aside to one side of the temple and they were all gathered around. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with a question. Now, when you think expert in religious law, think our modern day equivalent, equivalent of a lawyer. This was a person who, was, who studied up on the religious laws of the day. This was a person who spoke like a law, lawyer, reasoned like a lawyer, dressed like a lawyer. This was, this was just like a legal person. Their mind worked in that way. And he asked this question to try and trap Jesus, but not like in a negative way. Not like as in a, ah, I got you, Jesus. The reason he asked this question to trap Jesus was because he wanted Jesus on the Pharisee side. He wanted to trap Jesus into saying something that was like, ha-ha, you're really one of us. And now it's us and Jesus versus the Sadducees. And we can tell the Sadducees that they're wrong and that they're losing. And they've got a funny name and it doesn't make sense. And no one will understand it when they open the Bible 2,000 years later. But we want Jesus on our side. And so then it goes on, he, this, this really important guy, he goes, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? See, the Pharisees, because they're lawyers, they're, they kind of think that way. Maybe you've heard that there was ten commandments. Well, the Pharisees, they, ten commandments is pretty easy for a lawyer to memorize. And so they decided, hey, we actually need more than ten. And so over the course of history, they had created 613 commandments around these 10. And they created all these commandments and they used to argue with each other about which of them was most important. So they pulled Jesus in and they go, Jesus, Jesus, we need to settle this debate. What is the most important commandment of these 613? And Jesus responds to them. He says, Jesus replied, you must. Now, before I go on, I need you to just remember who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to a bunch of church people. So if you're here tonight and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you wouldn't consider yourself a church person, you're just checking this out for the first time, I need you to know this is not must something you, this is not something you must do. Jesus is not saying you must do this to you. Jesus is saying to church people, you must do this if you're a follower of Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, you must love. Not you must do not you must dress a certain way, not you must act a certain way. He says, love. Which is odd, because the Pharisees have asked for a law, and Jesus inserts a hyper-relational word. Jesus inserts a word that describes a relationship, not a word that describes a list of commandments that you tick box off. But then he goes on, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you're, a, if you're a God follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not something you can put into a box on a Sunday. 
This is not something you can put into a box on a night during the week. This is something that should permeate the fabric of every piece of DNA in your body. You should love God with all your heart, not just part of it, but all of it. All of your mind, all of your soul, because this is a relationship. And girls, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. Guys, you are welcome to try this. But it does not work if you walk up to your girlfriend and go, babe, I love you so much. Can we just be boyfriend, girlfriend, five to seven on Friday night? Would that work for you? I promise, like the rest of the time, I don't know what's going on because, you know, we, we're, we're sure we're in a relationship. But on five to seven on Friday night, I promise I'm going to love you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. It'll be great. You would look at that and be like, boy, you crazy. That ain't happening. Right? And, and the, this is what Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to understand. You cannot box God into one little compartment of your life and think it's going to work because it's a relationship. And Jesus isn't done. He goes, um, this, is the, this, is the great and first, uh, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the Pharisees are probably like, oh yeah, he answered our question. And before they had a chance to, to catch their breath, he goes on, he goes, and the second, the second is equally important. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what Jesus just said is, hey, if you get your vertical relationship with God right, if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, then at the same level, it should flow out into the way you love other people. And when you love God, you should be able to then love your neighbor to the extent that you love yourself. That's why it's on an equal footing, because if you are loving God correctly, you will naturally love other people the way that God, not the way that you want, the way that God would have his church love other people. And then he says this crazy statement. He, makes, he finishes off this, this conversation with this crazy statement to a group of religious leaders who had 613 commandments. He says this, he says, the entire law, all 613 of these commandments and the, uh, and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You want to think you're fancy with your 613? Here's two. If you get these two right, you don't need the rest. Because if you love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, you will love your neighbor as yourself and you don't need the others. If you get that relational piece right, the rest will fall into place. And what Jesus is really saying is simply this. What lies in the blank of following Jesus is relationship. And he's saying this to a bunch of religious leaders. And he says, the missing piece, the reason you're so hung up on commandments, the reason you're so hung up on looking the part, the reason you're so hung up on telling people how much you read your Bible and how much you go to church and how much you pray is because you've missed the relational piece. And when you get that relational piece right and realize that you're not trying to earn God's love, that changes the game. And I know that's a lot just to take in for one night. And, and here at Beyond, we like to make sure that you can do something with what we talk about. Because it's all great to come to church and, and have, uh, hear the band play some awesome music and come outside and, and have some great food. But really, what's the point if it can't change your life in some way? And so we have this thing, it's called For Monday, because we really want that, 
you to be able to leave here and change your life just in a small way. And tonight, if, if you're not a church person, I've created a full Monday just for you. Just for the next seven days, I just want you to ask this question. I want you to take the time over the next seven days, if you wouldn't really consider yourself religious, maybe you'd say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, and answer this question. What's the foundation of your spiritual journey? When it comes to your spirituality, what are you building it on top of? Are you building it on top of you? Are you building it on top of your desire to be known by other people? Are you building it on top of how well-liked you are? What are you building your spiritual journey on? And I can't answer that for you. But, but as you answer that this week, I want you to write it down. Because when you write it down, you get to actually look at it. And you actually get to see, and I want you to ask a follow-up question. Is that worth building a spiritual journey on? Is that a worthy foundation for your spiritual journey to be built around? And if the answer is no, or if the answer is I'm not sure, then why don't you come back just for the next two weeks as we journey through this series. Because at the end of this next two weeks, you don't have to buy into it, you don't have to sign up for anything, you might completely disagree with everything I've said, but if the foundation you're on is not going to sustain you through life, don't you think you should have some other options? Don't you think you should know what other alternatives are out there, maybe a better foundation to the one that you're building on at the moment? And tonight, I realize, I totally realize that for those of you who are church people, you probably zoned out like 10 minutes in or when we got to the Jesus stuff because you're like, oh, Chris, I've heard this story. I know what he does. I know that he embarrasses the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's Jesus, how great. And you probably switched off. You were like, I don't need this because I already know the answers. Of course I love God. Of course I love others. And if that's you, I really want to challenge you tonight because the Pharisees and the Sadducees said the exact same thing. I don't need to know it because I love God. I love other people so much. And the crazy thing is, the people who claimed to love God the most were the ones who had Him killed. The religious leaders who claimed to be so spiritual, who claimed to know all the answers, were the ones who, when God was in their midst, said, let's put Him on a cross and let's get rid of Him because we don't like what he's talking about. And so I've crafted a Four Monday for those of you who would say you're a follower of Jesus. And I just need you to understand how important this is, because so often we just glaze over it. So often we just move past and we go, well, of course I am. And we give it a Sunday school answer. And I don't want you to give this question a Sunday school answer this week. And the question I want you to ask for the next seven days is simply this, am I growing in love for God? And others. Because I think if you were to ask Jesus, if you were to be in that temple when Jesus was talking with those Pharisees, and you were to say, hey Jesus, what's the characteristic of a spiritual person? If you're a church person, you want to be hyper-spiritual, and you want to go deep, what's the characteristic? And Jesus would say, are you growing in your love for God and others? Don't tell me how much you read your Bible. Don't tell me how much you pray. Don't tell me how you've memorized those 32 verses. Those are great, and we'll talk about where those fits in the next coming weeks. But if you are not growing in your love for God and others, then you have missed the mark entirely. So ask the question this week, are you growing in your love for God? 
Do you trust God outside the one hour of church on a Sunday where it feels good and everything's nice? Do you trust God with your relationships? Do you trust God with your romantic relationships? Let's put that one there. Do you trust God with your finances? When God talks about how to steward your finances and how to take care of your finances, do you trust God with your finances? Do you say, nah, you know what, God, I got, I got this, I got this. Do you love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind? And the other one is, do you grow in your love for others? Because the thing is, the more and more you, lo- the longer and longer you, you're a Christian, the more and more your heart should break for the things that break God's heart. The, more, the longer and longer that you're in a relationship with God, the more and more you should begin to look outwards and say, how many people don't know God? How many people have a bad impression of the church? How many people think that the church has an image problem? And how can I love them in such a way that that they would maybe at one point in their life say, you know what, I don't buy into the church, but I buy into that group of followers of Jesus because they're different. So yet beyond, our vision is really simple. We want to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. Why? Why? Because if you love God and you love others right, then you should be a place that other people actually want to come and hang out. You should be a place and you should be a church where people who don't necessarily believe and don't necessarily behave and don't necessarily know the right words to say and don't necessarily know Christian talk can come in and go, you know what, I don't buy any of it, but I love hanging out with these people. And here's the crazy thing. This is not me saying this. This is just statistics. Like I'm a nerd and I look at the data. 7% of Australia... 7% of Australians say they go to church on a regular basis, which is two or more times a month. There are more vegetarians in Australia than there are church people. 11% of Australia is vegetarians. You are more likely to run into a vegetarian than you are a Christian. Which to me just screams, we have not done a good job of loving God and loving others. We have been so quick to give the Sunday school answer and say, you know what? No, I do love God. Of course I love others. And just tick box. And then we move on. It's crazy because statistically, the top three reasons why someone would walk away from the church, number one is abuse. Number two is religious law, uh, wars. And number three is hypocrisy. None of those three involve Jesus. None of those things have anything to do with Jesus. In fact, Jesus would say, you should probably walk away from church if those three things are there because they're not loving God and they're not loving others. If they're abusing people, if they're starting wars and if they're being hypocrites and treating you harshly, they're not loving God and they're not loving others. But here's the good news. The number one reason that people say they are likely to engage in church and re-engage with Jesus is because of someone they know that has a genuine faith. Far and away, far and away, the number one reason why people will engage or re-engage with faith is because they have encountered someone who has a genuine faith and a genuine relationship with Jesus. So this week, if you're a follower of Jesus, ask that question, are you growing in love for God and love for others. And don't just give the Sunday school answer. Don't just skip past it. But wrestle that question to the ground. Find maybe where the spaces are. and Maybe you've missed that relational element. Because at Beyond, we don't want to do church. 
We want to be the church. And when you recognize that you need to grow in your love for God and others, you stop doing church and stop going through the motions and you actually start to be the church and be invested in the lives and the relationships of those people around you. So ask the question this week and I'd love to invite you back as we continue this series next week. I'd love to pray for you all as the band come up. Heavenly Father, it's sometimes so difficult to know what to insert into the blanks. Maybe we've had it modeled for us poorly. Maybe we've just viewed Christianity from afar and we've sat on the, in the grandstands and we've, we've looked and we've observed and, and we think we know what goes in the blanks and, and what goes in the blanks we don't really like. But Lord, I pray that as a community that we would begin to insert relationship back into that blank space. Because when we begin to understand that at the heart of Christianity Christianity is a relationship with a God who gave his life to know us and gave his life to love us, that changes everything. It's easy to love a God who puts everything on the line. And all of a sudden that changes the way that we love those around us. It changes the way that we love our neighbors who are easy to get on with. But it also changes the way we love our neighbors that are not so easy to get along with. So Lord, this week, help us to ask those questions. What's the foundation of my spiritual journey? And am I growing in love for God or others? Because I don't want people to leave inserting something into the blanks. And I know it breaks your heart when people insert the wrong thing into the blank space. So this week, I pray that it would be an opportunity for people to rethink and reimagine what it would be like to insert a relationship with Jesus in those blanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.